This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. This week, I'm joined by a wheeling and dealing gunslinger who caught me red-handed, Kate Lamphere. Is this a Firefly reference? It can be if you want it to be. So this week, we're doing something a little bit different. Um, We have a special guest in the second half of the show, but we're going to just go through comics and stuff first before we get into things. So just changing things up a little bit. This is episode 286 of I Read Comic Books. Two things to announce before we get started. One, our Goodreads group hit 800 members this week. Holy crap. I just want to say, if you're a Goodreads member, give us a shout on Twitter or Instagram. Tell us what your favorite recent comic was. I just want to know who's out there. Holy smokes. 800 members? That's wild. The other thing I want to say is that 11 a.m., On May 22nd, that's this upcoming Saturday, we're going to be doing a hangout. It's going to be a brunch hangout. Also, I wanted to make sure that people that don't live in the United States could come hang out with us. So like you live in Australia or you live in the UK, come hang out with us. Have some dinner or a late night lunch or late night dinner. I don't know what you want to call it, but we're going to be there May 22nd, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Can't wait to see you all there. We're going to talk about comic books. We're going to have brunch. It's going to be great. But let's get into things. Let me ask the legally obligated question I have to ask every single episode. That is, how have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Kate, because you're the only other person here. (laughs) Yeah, I've been great. I I started my little vegetable garden outside with my five plants, and they've already been sun scorched and might be dying. Um, It's fine. What are you you growing? Uh, Tomatoes and peppers. Oh, okay. How are, what is this? How do you sun scorch a plant Um, unless you live in Arizona? I started the seedlings inside and then I transplanted them outside and then the next day it was very, very sunny and that was too much for the babies. Okay. And so they all turned white. Okay. It's very upsetting. <laughs> I'm fine. So no, no salad for Kate. No salad for Kate. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. But I've, I've been uh, picking up pretty much every manga number one at my library branch that I find. Finally, <laughs> I went to a different library branch and picked up all the manga number ones there. I have uh-huh. too many books. Also, Kate. A problem <laughs> <laughs> what hold so okay so what is your what is your end goal with reading all these number ones is it just trying to find the right next manga for you or what it's it's because i need the the like oh, oh gosh the, the the shopping therapy but i don't want to spend any money <laughs> <laughs> okay i like that i like that a lot actually and i found some good stuff doing it this way so okay. mm-hmm. <laughs> And then, and then if I don't like it, I don't feel bad because I didn't spend any money on it. Right, 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 right. Okay. You know, I, I totally can respect that because my problem is that I will just spend money. So, you know what? I think you've, you've got it all figured out and I'm the one who doesn't have it figured out. So <laughs> I, I like that a lot. What, what have you been reading? What'd you, what'd you pick up that was solid? Yeah. So I read Death March to a Parallel World Rhapsody, Volume 1. It's a long title. Uh, mm-hmm. So the illustrator is Aya Magumu and the original writer of the light novel that this is based off of is Hiro Inanna and this is um it's so it starts and it's about a game programmer who's working late into the night um he's like on a 36 hour day at this point he's adding last minute features to this game he's doing bug fixes and then he falls asleep under his desk and when he wakes up he finds himself in the world of the game um including all of these coding bugs that haven't been fixed yet and the world is similar to Dungeons and Dragons Um, with the medieval fantasy setting, including Mm -hmm. magic items, gold, fantasy races, and dragons. And as a fan of D&D, I really liked that. Um, The world is not peaceful. There is talk of a big, bad, evil guy um, that reincarnates regularly, so I feel like that's maybe some foreshadowing. And if if you play D&D, then maybe you're familiar with the term OP, overpowered. Mm -hmm. Um, And I 
and I really feel like this character was just immediately overpowered, um, especially for being a level one character, which he literally says in the book. He like looks at his little profile that somehow mm-hmm. pops up and he's like, oh, yes, I'm level one, but I have all these magic items. <sighs> he's a protagonist. Anyway. He's got protagonist powers. Yeah. Plot armor. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I feel like uh, it's it's a little heavy just just with the overpower being being overpowered and then like we already know who your villain might be I assume um, so it just kind of seems like it's already spoon, spoon feeding you foreshadowing really yeah um, yeah I might pick up volume two um, in the hope that like maybe they're setting up all of these expectations to deliver a better surprise mm-hmm. um, that would be really nice um, but I don't think I'm gonna ne- necessarily specifically. Uh, get this i'm not gonna seek this out but i might grab it if i see it at the library (laughs) i mean why not right you're not paying for it right (laughs) yeah so if this does seem like something that you might you might want to read i would make sure that you're getting the manga instead of the light novel because they do look very similar um and Mm. i've done that before is i've requested a manga and then it was a novel (laughs) whoops (laughs) well what else what else you've been reading beyond that yeah, so uh, to pick something that's not manga. <laughs> I appreciate it. You know, listen, I can only have Renee on the show so many times per month because it's just manga. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I did read, I found the the Redwall uh, graphic novel adaptation. And okay. the original book is by Brian Jocks. That was, that was put out in 1986. And the adaptation is done by Stuart Moore, Brett Blevins, and Richard Starkings. Hmm. And if you're from, if you're not familiar with Redwall, this is the first book that this author ever put out. But there are now 22 novels in the book series, and this first one is about a mouse, Matthias, who works at an abbey that is home to numerous different anthropomorphic animals. There's a very bad rat that comes to town, and his crew um, of other rats, and they attack the abbey. Spoilers for a book that came out 40 years ago, approximately. <laughs> Matthias yeah. saves the day with the power of friendship and also some some mysticism. Um, mm-hmm. in, in this adaptation, the art is black and white. It's really cute. These chubby little mouse faces give me the same warm feeling I get when I see Brian and our cat cuddling. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, uh, that's great. The rat character, Cl- Clunny or maybe Clooney, he's drawn like he's mean and scary, um, but he is mean and scary, so that's fine. Um, it's just kind of a, a, you know, different from the mice. Mm-hmm. Um, I really do enjoy seeing the visual representation of these characters and of the Abbey. One of my biggest questions when reading this this novel series is what the size of the animals are, because there are like badgers and and birds and rabbits and snakes. And it's mm-hmm. like, are these all proportionate to one another? Like, because they're anthropomorphic, would they be the size of human beings? Right. And then they're right. all approximately the same same size to fit in this abbey together. But in this book, they did draw at least the badger character to be bigger than the mice. I don't know that it's necessarily proportionate to like a, a real badger and a real mouse. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is like the, the abbey is, is a much larger like the the arches are really large the ceilings are really large not that it would be like proportionate to to mice and a human abbey anyway it answers some of my questions is what i'm saying i see i see is is um, this, this the is... only like the red wall is like a pretty long series is this yeah. the only graphic novel that they have yes and i'm okay. disappointed <laughs> okay. well, I, I wonder what that is i mean do you know who off, off your off top of your head who published this 
No, but now I have to now I have to find out. That's okay. That's okay. I only wonder because I feel like sometimes there's like there's like licensing issues and sometimes like some publishers will just test to see if a graphic novel does well in terms of like an adaptation from a book. So I was just curious, but while I'm assuming you're going to look that up, I'm going to talk about what's been going on with me and what books I've been reading. Um, I got the second dose of my vaccine. So I'm two weeks away from making out with Paul. I mean, I'm two weeks away from being fully vaccinated, <laughs> uh, which is, it's great. Except for my arm is absolutely just killing me today. I got the shot yesterday and uh, it's a whole ordeal, but you know what I'm feeling I'm feeling more confident in the fact that I uh, can go places and uh, do things and not have to be constantly worried about breathing, which is, you know, a plus. Uh, on top of that, I finally my my sprained ankle that I had finally is healed to the point where I can ride my bike. And I just want to say you have no idea how freeing it is to ride a bicycle after you've not been able to ride a bicycle and wanted to so badly. I don't understand how else to describe it, but um, I got to ride my bike the other day and it was awesome. That sounds, that does sound great. Yeah, I, I, well, it's an electric bike. So like I only am kind of riding it, but you know what I mean? Like it, it allows me to like get away from the apartment and not have to rely on the car that we have. It's, it's awesome. But as far as comic books that I read, um, I've kind of been all over the place. I've just been reading, demon slayer and dragon ball so i don't really have too much to update outside of the two other books that i read recently which was glow number one through four this is by ray chow and uh vincenzo ferrero with art by uh annie molina and diagia uh, i grabbed this on kickstarter a long time ago i'm a huge fan of ray chow's book uh it's this steampunk book that he did let's see why i wrote it in my name somewhere but uh skies of fire i should say and um he's got this whole publishing thing that he does with other people um so i was like you know what i, I liked his first book let's check out some of the other stuff that he did and i was not disappointed this book follows two young protagonists named casey and Koken um as they seek out pieces of old broken runes for trinkets and other small uses of magic the world that they live in was at one point like one point like nuclear devastate nuclearly devastated by magic so using magic is kind of like a no-no but it's it's very hard to come by and it's all based around these runes and there's like a huge lore built into this story um but with four issues you only get to explore it about like a tenth of the of, of a fraction of a percent and um so it was really interesting to to sit down and read this only getting like a little bit of the lore and getting a little bit of the character backgrounds and stuff but like the thing that i really love about ray's work is that he spends a lot of time really creating characters that you love immediately. Every single one of the characters for all the books that I've read from him have been so rich and so vibrant that I fall in love with them completely. And the thing I'm so blown away by with this book in particular is like, the art style is really fun and animated and it reminds me a lot of like inspired it was inspired by like 90s Disney movies and Avatar the Last Airbender um you can feel like there's this scribbly style that they use around some of the characters and some of the action moments that gives it so much more action and and an animation that you feel like it's it's a very like excited exciting book everything about this book is is really interesting they're running a kickstarter actually right now that ends on may 20th um where you can get the collected edition of these first four issues i think this is like the first arc of many i don't know if this is supposed to be ongoing or not but yeah i i really really enjoyed this book honestly like everything that this guy's touched has been incredible the, the only downside is that typically he does all of his work on kickstarter and his books come out like you get like four or five issues a year. 
And um, as much as I am happy to like fund people and, and you know get that stuff, like the story pace is a little bit slow. But to to get them all collected and sit down and read them, it's it's awesome. So highly recommend that. Again, this this book is a lot a lot of fun. I don't know when issue five is supposed to come out, but I'm very excited to to back it on Kickstarter when it does. Yeah. Do you? I have this question about Kickstarter books in general. Sure. Um, once a a Kickstarter is funded, I always have like if I if I find it later. Mm-hmm. Um, I never know how to <laughs> how to buy the book after it's mm-hmm. closed. Do you mm-hmm. have a, a recommendation? So it really, really depends on the creator, right? Some creators will be like, this is it. You can only get it from this Kickstarter. Or they'll say, hey, it's not available now. You know, number one came out, but we're going to do a Kickstarter for number two in another month. So then you can get one and two. So for instance, Glow... I didn't back it at number one. I backed it at number four, but I was able to pay like 15 bucks or 20 bucks or something to get all four issues of glow in one go digitally, which is really nice. So yeah, it really depends on the, on the creator It re- like what and how they distribute books. Like a lot of the times these creators will have, they'll have uh, like post purchases where you can buy from them on Gumtree or you can buy them on Comixology or something. Danny in the chat saying that he was able to buy Elsa uh, Chartier's book um, after her Kickstarter was over by buying it through the Kickstarter website. I think you can some some creators will like have an external link to their books that they're still selling after the Kickstarter. It's just sometimes you can't get like the Kickstarter exclusive um, edition of the book or you can't get the um, uh, what's it called? Like the you might not be able to get a hardback version. You can only get like a softback version or something. So it really, really depends. But for the most part, Digital copies are usually always available because why wouldn't you, you know? Right. So, but it, otherwise, yeah, you just wait for the next issue to come out, but it all depends. Yeah. Um, like Iron Circus Comics, for instance, right? That's run by um, C. Spike Trotman. Uh, all of their books are published through a publisher after they're funded initially on Kickstarter. That initial Kickstarter funding is usually just to like pay the creators and get the book made, like, printed it up and stuff like that. Get all the special editions printed. And then profit after that usually goes back into the creator's pockets. And then uh, Iron Spike, which is a pu- the publisher, if I'm not mistaken, then publishes those books for the future. Um, and you can get physical and digital copies. It's just that initial run to get over the hump of getting the thing printed in the first place. That's usually the challenge for them. Yeah, I am seeing the the Skies of Fire uh, PDFs available for purchase on his website. So yeah, that bodes well for Glow. Yeah, and I mean Glow, like numbers one through four came out as single issues now they're doing a collected edition um and i'm guessing they're going to do five onward as single issues then they'll do a collected edition and so on and so forth so the the other book i want to talk about really quick um is time before time number one this was my pick last week this is by declan shalvey rory mcconville uh art by joe palmer colors by chris o'halloran letters by hassan atzman elhau um this was my pick like i said uh, i just wanted to talk about it because overall it was the book that it honestly worked on every level for me. Joel Palmer's art is a little odd at first, but every page that I read, it really, really grew on me. Things are a little bit elongated, a little bit simple, but they kind of remind me in like, of like a very stylistic art style, like the old guard. Not to say the art styles are the same, but like there's a, a very specific style when it comes to the old guard. And I feel like that's exactly what Joel Palmer has. Like he has a very distinct style that um, probably wouldn't work for all books, but works super well for this one. I was really happy to see like Declan Shelby and, and Roy McConville um, hiding away like the nitty gritty details of time travel, which is kind of at the center of the story. Um, and rather in, instead they focus more on the crime and the character character development and while i know that i said that the the 
the promo for this was like Looper meets something else is kind of stupid. I actually feel like that's an accurate description because Looper um, in that movie, you know, they hide away kind of the the mechanics behind time travel in order to tell a story. But um, I just feel like it's such a weird, it was such a weird mismatch last week. But nonetheless, the last few pages, though, caused me to kind of stand up and yell like, I'm sorry, what? Because it was so (laughs) far fetched that I was like mad about it. But the more I think about it, the more I love it. And like the twist was great. Like I wasn't mad about the end of the book, really. I was more just like, holy shit, this adds a whole nother layer of complications to the story. And I love it for that reason. So yeah, I'm very much hooked on this book. I'm just very mad that it's a serialized book. I'd much rather read this as a graphic novel because God damn it, I just want the next issue. This It was very, very good. Highly recommend it if you have a chance. Um, time, time Before Time is was very, very impressive to me it's added, it's added to my reading list for sure yes gotcha uh <laughs> honestly i think this will probably be re- probably read really really well as a collected edition but everybody should go support this book because it, it kicks a lot of butt but let's get into comic books that are coming out this upcoming week comics are dropping on may 19 2021 kate what are you excited for this upcoming week yeah so while you referenced uh firefly earlier this is not my fault um <laughs> just, because, just because i referenced a western style of comic doesn't mean i was talking about firefly okay kate i think that's your predisposition <laughs> uh, but i am excited for a firefly book <laughs> yeah 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 um, this is Firefly Brand New Verse number one. It's by Josh Lee Gordon and Fabiana Mascalo. And I, I know that I fire I follow the Firefly comics uh partially to spend time with the characters that we already know from the original TV show. But this volume is gonna follow Emma, who is the daughter of Zoe and Wash, and her crew of misfit oh misfit smugglers running from the alliance. So, like, this is growing beyond yeah. just the main cast. Okay. Yeah, and I I don't know if I would have if if I could have told you that the, I would have been excited about this, but I'm I've been reading all these Firefly comics that are coming out, and they're like. They're trying to trying to stick with the original crew, which means that they're limited to basically the events of the show and the the other comics that came before the Boom Comics. So they're like filling out this this very limited timeline, and there are novels that I haven't read. So yeah, if they want to keep producing content, they were going to have to do something, um, either like talk about these characters' childhoods or the future beyond the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think this is the way to keep going with Firefly, and um, I really like the ro- the world building of Firefly with the inner planets versus the outer planets, the Western feel, the combination of Mandarin and English cultures. Unfortunately, I feel like the Boom comics didn't embrace that that combination of Mandarin and English, which is a real shame. That was one of my favorite world building aspects of the show. And on one hand. I'm kind of glad they're not that they're not trying to incorporate Mandarin and then failing. Um, but on the other hand, I feel like this was a really good opportunity to tr- to include a Mandarin speaking creator in the series. Hmm. Um, it's just an opportunity to make this kind of an own voices book, and it was a missed opportunity. I guess I don't know that for sure. I haven't read the specific book, but um, that's my experience with the the previous Boom comics. Gotcha. 
So well, I'm glad that they're uh, expanding out. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the Firefly people will keep buying Firefly comics as long as they keep printing them. Um, yep, and I'm a, one of those people. <laughs> I know it's it's like a very small but extremely dedicated group like Star Trek. I don't understand it. Uh, how one season of a show could garnish such a a massive dedicated following, but you know what? I, those characters are lovable. Like we did the whole Firefly episode. I I totally get it. Um, but also, I'm not buying these books, so I don't know. That's fair. Um, anyways, uh, well, for me this week, I'm excited for Undone by Blood or The Other Side of Eden number three. Um, but I guess before I say that, I should say one of our... Uh, Danny's hanging out with us on Discord while we're recording. His pick is Infinite Frontier, Wonder Girl number one. This is the Joelle Jones book that I believe is coming out, which looks beautiful because Joelle Jones just knows how to draw beautiful people. My pick for this week is Undone by Blood or The Other Side of Eden number three. This is by Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler. Um, Pencils and inks by Sammy Cavella. Um, Probably the most prolific penciler in the business right now. I don't understand it. Colors by Jason Wordy. uh, Letters by Hassan Otsman Elhow. Um, And basically, this story is a heist gone wrong in the 30s and in the Wild West because this book is incredible and it tells a story in a present day, quote unquote, and in this case, the 1930s and a past from... A book, so a passage from a book, I should say, um, that is par- like a parallel of the main story. I I don't know where this book is going in terms of like how they're going to get out of this heist thing that's happening because everything started to go wrong. But I'm really really loving what Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler are doing with this Undone by Blood series. I from what I understand, um, they had not intended to make a sequel to the original Undone by Blood um, arc that they did, but then it got picked up for like a movie or a TV deal or something, and they were like, oh well, I guess we can probably write some more so very excited to see like where the rest of this book goes because i don't know what it is but this book gets the idea of a western so well and just nails it in terms of like twisting the narrative in order to do a western style story but in a different time period where and also having this parallel with this fictional cowboy character that only exists in books um that is actually a western um it's it's so really so well done and i'm just i'm just loving this series plus i can't get enough of sammy cavella's art um i'm not mad about him being on this book as well as abbott as well as everything else so just give me more that's that's pretty much my take on it i I love this series everybody else should too but yeah, I guess uh, I think that's it. You know, this is we changing things up a little bit today because we have a special guest after the break. Um, so when we come back, we're going to be talking to the one and only Erica Schultz about her brand new Kickstarter. That is it's got about 30 days left on it right now, probably less when we actually l- release this episode. Um, it's called The Deadliest Bouquet and everyone should go back. it. So we'll be back in just a minute. For our show this week, we are talking to Erica Schultz, comic creator extraordinaire, uh, who has a Kickstarter running right now for a book called The Deadly's Bouquet. Uh, I guess before we get into things, Erica, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us a little bit about The Deadliest Bouquet? Sure. Um, I'm a writer, editor, and letterer. Uh, I've uh, written for Marvel, DC Image, uh, Dynamite, Red 5, 2000 AD, King Features. Just go to the Wikipedia page. It'll help. (laughs) (laughs) So basically everyone and anyone that you could write for, you've worked for in the past. Pretty much, yeah. Um, And uh, The Deadliest Bouquet is a new series. Uh, We're actually putting it out as an OGN, 
original graphic novel. Um, is, so it was originally going to be a five-issue miniseries, but it's going to be one big, you know, fat OGN now. Nice. And uh, sort of the log line is, in uh, 1998, three estranged sisters trained by their Nazi hunting mom come together to solve their mom's murder and try not to kill each other in the process. <laughs> and <laughs> that is like the coolest summary of a book I've ever heard in my entire life. And Kate and I had a chance to look at the first issue. Holy smokes, this book is a lot of fun. Like every character is immediately lovable, like from the first couple of pages. So I, I'm curious to know, and Kate, I'll let you jump in too, you know, uh, how did this book come to be? Like, how did you put the creative team together? And like, what was your drive to, to get this book going? So um, I had, I, I was on a conversation, having a conversation with another creator. And, um, you know, I, I don't really know where ideas come from. They just sort of pop in my head. And I tend to sort of jot them down. And because I was speaking with uh, Liana Kangas, who's another, who's a an artist and creator, mm-hmm. um, we were on the phone, and I was just like, "Hey, what do you think this idea of sort of you know story about like Nazi hunters, but you know maybe do it in the '90s or something, and sort of anchor it back to World War II?" And it was kind of this sort of nebulous idea, but you know, she's like, "Oh, that sounds kind of cool." So I just sort of wrote it down, and then. Little by little, I started developing it more and more and sort of going into the, you know, the background of the characters and the lore and such. And that's sort of my process as I do like sort of a timeline of when the story, you know, what happened before we pick up the story, what happened during the story, and then what's the aftermath of the story. And that just sort of helps me plot it out uh, as the writer. And uh, I, I was familiar with Carola Borelli's work on Destiny New York mm-hmm. and... Mm-hmm. Um, I was familiar with Gab Contreras's work and Gab, who's the colorist, uh, Gab and I have worked together before. Gab was one of the colorists on uh, Strange Tales, which was a Kickstarter I did with Claire Connolly a few years yeah. ago. So I, I had already had James Emmett uh, attached as the editor. And then, you know, I, I reached out to Gab to see if she was available because, you know, because it's going to it's a long form project. You know, you're sort of asking somebody, hey, by the way, uh, can I, you know monopolize your time for the next six seven months um <laughs> so you want to check in first right but gab was available and uh carola were both of them were available and i was just really excited to to start working on it that's awesome i mean yeah i think i i the other work that i read before um of yours was was the strange tales book i've been a huge fan of like claire's work for years and so the two of you working together on that book was really really fun and that's i think i got a message or something that that book was coming out or something or that this book was coming out i think from that kickstarter or something but uh yeah i'm i'm really excited to read this kate i don't know if you wanted to jump in with something before i just continue to like fanboy about this Yeah, I mean, I I read the number one and something that stood out is that like the I don't know if you have siblings, if this is from personal experience, but the sibling relationships felt so real. Yeah, I I, I am one of three. Okay, that makes sense. (laughs) Uh, My brother is the oldest and then I have an older sister as well. So there's the three of us. So I, uh, I, I am one of three. I am very familiar with the dynamic of uh, of three siblings and uh, how there's the round robin of alliances that literally turn on a dime. Yeah, that was really noticeable. And I felt like the the exposition between them happened really efficiently in this. Like I knew where everybody stood by the by the end of the one issue and like what everybody's responsibilities and, and the char- their potentially their capabilities are. Um, 
that's suggested. <laughs> yes, yeah. we will see. We will see much more of that. Um, we we sort of um, in the Kickstarter video we kind of break down their sort of specialties. You know, like Poppy's the brawler, and it's funny because she's like this mom. You know, this like housewife and mom, and she's the one who's you know knocking people out. Mm-hmm. Um, Violent Violet is uh, really good with knives and um, Rose is pretty much good with everything, but she tends to be small firearms in martial arts. Uh, So everybody sort of has a, uh, I guess if you want to think of it in collegiate terms, everyone has a major and a minor. Uh, (laughs) So, so yeah. um, And I wanted to make sure that the sisters were similar, but different enough that you could tell uh, one from the other just from dialogue and and cadence of voice and such. And Carola did a really fantastic job with the designs because, you know, they look like they could be related, but in a crowd scene, you're going to be able to tell each sister separately because they have different hairstyles and they carry themselves differently. Their their body Mm -hmm. language is very different. So when the three of them are in the same room, there's no real confusion between who is who. Yeah, that was done really well. I really liked um, when when the characters are off screen, but they're speaking. There are these little flower icons that represent their names. Yeah, that yeah. was very clever. Yeah, yeah. I I kind of stole that from a lot of um, a lot of Capes books. Does that do, do that? Where you have the sort of captions with the symbol of whoever the character is. So if it's like, you know, Ms. Marvel talking with Captain America, you'll have like the shield and then the lightning bolt and things like that. So um, I I kind of liked that idea because it feels a little more organic than just everybody consistently repeating somebody's name. So, you know, who's speaking because that just doesn't like nobody talks like that. Let's be honest. (laughs) So I and, you know, in my writing career, I've started out as a. I got this note from an editor years ago saying that I'm, quote, very economical when it comes to dialogue. So um, I've been trying to write more dialogue, but at the same time, uh, being a letterer as well, like, I don't really want to write too much dialogue because then I think it's like, you want the art to be able to communicate information as well. Like, it doesn't always have to be, hi, my name is so-and-so, and and this is what is going on. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. the art can communicate attitude, can communicate, um, you know, uh, uh, just mood and such. And you want the art to do that. Otherwise, it's just a writer sort of writing over everything else. Um, I was just having this conversation with a girlfriend of mine who's uh, also a, a film writer, And I said, you know, I understand that stories take an organic turn sometimes and and they have to change. At the same time, I like planning my stories out because I want to make sure that, you know, I don't want a letterer to have to sort of letter over a bunch of art because I decided that the story is going to take this different turn. And, you know, the art isn't servicing that because, you know, the artist didn't wasn't privy to the whims of the writer kind of thing. Um, so, I mean, I think Corolla does a really great job at acting at facial expressions, even mm-hmm. really slight things like in that first chapter, when Poppy grabs her daughter and sort of rips her daughter away from Violet in this sort of like, you know, what are you telling her? Don't, don't fill her head with, you know, whatever garbage you're, you're spouting. Mm-hmm. There's this really, it's so indiscernible, but Rose has her hand out and is touching Holly's hand. 
as mm. Poppy is ripping her from Violet. And that's a, a, that, that is an instinctual thing that you do when you're around a kid is you always make sure that you're like making sure that they're right there. You hold their hand, you, you, you know, put your hand on their head or something to make sure that they're physically there, that they're safe. And I thought that that was, that was nothing that I wrote. And that was just this tiny little thing that Carola put in that, that just makes that scene that just huh. shows the heart of that scene. Now you're going I mean, back to the PDF and looking for it. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, I'm scrolling through right now just being like, what, what else did I miss in this book? <laughs> that's that's amazing. You know, actually, I was I was curious, you know, like you sent us the first chapter of the of the story. Um, did you change anything in order to move this from like a mini series to an OGN? Or are you just trying to just release it all at once um, just so that folks can get the full story? I didn't really change much. It was always considered, it was always going to be a five issue story. When we originally uh, started we had a publisher that was involved and um, they were going to release it as a five issue monthly story and then, you know, package it as a trade. Mm-hmm. But uh, COVID unfortunately, you know, uh, sort of scuttled that, that idea. So part of me was thinking, okay, well, let's wait until this whole COVID thing blows over. And right. uh, yeah, ha ha ha. <laughs> and here we yeah. are in May, 2021. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, like, oh, yeah, I know better. So, <laughs> yes, I know the better than the whims of a disease. So um, so originally we were thinking that. And then James said, you know, we could do this on Kickstarter. And I was a little wary of it because I had done the Kickstarter for uh, for Strange Tales. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was it was a slog. It really was. I mean, it was it was tough to do. But we got it done. And, you know, Claire has had great success with Kickstarters. And, and I sort of lean heavily, I leaned heavily on her. And in this, I'm leaning heavily on James because he's had great success with I Am Hexed and, you know, a bunch of work that he's done uh, through mm-hmm. 451 and such. So I had been working to sort of break this story for a while. And uh, I had a lot of false starts. And James was kind enough to sort of look through things and sort of pick and choose what really worked out of, you know, every different iteration that I tried to write the story from. So from that perspective, I thought, okay, screw it. Let's do a Kickstarter because I've been trying to break this story forever. I finally, with James's help, I finally, you know, found the correct through line. I I have my path. If I put this off for however long it's going to be, this book may never come out. So just do it. Yeah. So, uh, so I laced up my Nikes and I just did it. And uh, I'm dating myself with that tagline. And, <laughs> I mean, I got it, but I don't know about all of our listeners. You know, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm all of your listeners are very young, probably. <laughs> I mean, I don't it, it's all over the board. You know, I, I feel like every time I think I understand, like where our demographic is for the show, it's it's always surprised me. I get a message from somebody like, hey, I'm 65 years old. I live in Scotland. I love your show. I'm like. Cool. All right. Let's do this. And the 65-year-old in Scotland is going to is going to get that reference. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. My 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 Gen X brethren and sistren will get that reference. Uh, <laughs> not, not so much everybody else though. Um yeah. but uh but yeah, I mean, we Greg Pak who's a writer uh, has a fantastic book on his website and um I always suggest I I used this book uh when we did the Strange Tales Kickstarter and I have been suggesting to people, if you are thinking about doing a Kickstarter, go to Greg's website, pick up this digital book, mm-hmm. because it will either empower you or it will scare the living hell out of you. <laughs> e- but either way, 
that's good because right. you either will then realize you're not ready to do a Kickstarter or you'll be like, okay, I have everything that I need. Um, so I cannot, you know, say enough about Greg's work and I can't say enough about James's patience uh, mm-hmm. and his, his real like know-how. I mean, Kickstarter will go crazy in depth into the minutia of analytics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think that's fascinating. Obviously, not everybody's going to be fascinated by that. But I mean, they will literally say to you, okay, you got, you know, 65 people who had, um, who had pledged to your, uh, to your Kickstarter came through a link that you posted on Twitter Mm -hmm. or came through a link that, that a podcast posted. And, and, And it's, it's fascinating because then you can turn around and say, oh, wow. Okay. So this podcast that has, you know, 20,000 listeners to it, I got, you know, 40 people from that. Oh, wow. Okay. So the next time I do a Kickstarter, I'm definitely going to want to be on that podcast. You know? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, the, I read comic books podcast, you know, maybe I get like a hundred people because I know you, you know, y'all have this huge following, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> we think so. 65 year olds in Scotland. I mean, come on. We're yeah, I mean, rumors. yeah, I, I've, you know, I've, I've always found the, the side of Kickstarter with, with that kind of stuff to be really fascinating. We did a Kickstarter, what, three years ago or something just to, it, for the show. We were trying to basically do a like a tour across the United States in terms of going to a couple of comic book conventions and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, the amount of data you can get from Kickstarter is wild. If you just add that little little tag on the end of your and stuff like that it's oh, it's really really cool um and yeah hopefully you know we'll we'll put a link to this the kickstarter for the deadliest bouquet like in in the show notes and fingers crossed we'll get you know a thousand backers from our massive number of listeners that are out there but yeah i mean it's i, I i'm looking at the kickstarter right now you guys are at like uh over 60 percent of your funding goal and you've got 29 days left i feel like that's a good that's a good percentage to don't be jinx me <laughs> I shouldn't have said anything. I shouldn't have said anything. Um, but no, this this looks really exciting. I'm really excited to read the rest of the story. Like that that first chapter preview was was a lot of fun. Um, so I can't wait to read the rest. Kate, I don't know if was there anything else you wanted to ask before we dive into the other part of this uh, this discussion. I was just gonna say I really like that your credits page includes the editor and who I assume is the flatter. It says color assist. I feel like more comics need to do that. Hmm. I mean, comics really are a collaboration and there are a lot of people that are involved and I think that they need to be credited. I mean, so this is an annoying thing that my husband and I do when we go see a mo- when we go to see a movie, no matter what film it is, obviously, if it's like a Marvel film, you're going to stay to the end anyway, because you want to see the end credit scene. <laughs> yeah. But no matter what, we will stay till the end credits because all these people worked on that film and they deserve their, their name to be seen. And I might not be able to read every single name on there, mm-hmm. but I want to be able to say, yeah, I sat through the credits and I, I acknowledge the vast amount of people that worked on putting this, uh, this piece together. So I, I want to acknowledge the people that worked on this. The, I have the logo uh, creator in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've got, everybody who who helped with this um and i think that that's important i think it's important to to acknowledge the fact that you don't snap your fingers and comics just appear uh i think there is a disconnect uh between you know going to a comic shop and seeing a finished product on a shelf 
versus, you know, being in the thick of it. Yeah, there's and there's like a I feel like there's a growing movement among comic creators to try to be a little bit better about, you know, giving credits and stuff like that, especially when it gets down to, you know, smaller roles that a lot of people probably don't even think about. Like Flatters, for instance, I think is the big one that I've, I've seen like an like a, a growth in people recognizing like, oh, this person did the color work, but this also this other person did the flat work, you know, beforehand. And I think we're, you know, there's there's a discourse online of folks saying like, you know, there's, this is something that we should see more in manga books because it's not like a manga book that's, you know, written and drawn by, by one creator is actually done by that one person. Typically, they have four, five, six, seven, eight assistants depending. And a lot of the times those people aren't credited unless you buy, you know, a collected edition that has like a special comic dedicated to the assistants and stuff. But you don't get the individual like dedicated like credits and stuff like that, which can be um, problematic. And I think, you know, for books like the deadliest bouquet where you've you've kind of got a team that's working on things you know you know who everybody is you only need to credit them once but with ongoing books specifically at like marvel and dc you know you may swap out some of those other roles you know from page or from issue to issue depending on time constraints and stuff like that and so it's it's tough to it's i guess it's tough as people like us as comic book reviewers and people who discuss about comics online to try to really credit everything because a lot of the time some of those roles are just uncredited in books um and you have to we have to usually dig them out by finding things on stuff like league of comic geeks where that which is like a crowdsourced in you know base of information where people are scouring you know tweets and other other articles and stuff to get that kind of information so it is nice i guess to, to round this back to what Kate was saying, it's nice to see that all of the people listed in the book because I feel like that's harder to find, especially when it comes to more popular books. A lot of the times it's like two names, maybe three names on a cover um, when it's definitely, you know, there's an editor, there's a colorful, you know, colorist, there's a, there's a inker and all that stuff. And sometimes they just aren't listed on the cover at all. And it's, it's a real bummer when it is definitely, like you said, a group effort. Well, I mean, uh, Forgotten Home, which was an eight-issue series that I did through Comixology Originals, we had multiple flatters on that on mm-hmm. that book. Uh, mm-hmm. Over the eight issues, we ended up having three people flatting for it, and in each individual issue, whoever the flatter was was credited. And then in the collected edition, it says color assists, and then it has all three of them listed. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say which issues they're listed in for the collected edition, but they are listed as color assistants. Right. I used to work at a studio and um, I mean, some of the books that I worked on as, you know, doing background inking or, uh, you know, color assists or coloring or whatever, I would be credited under the studio name. So it would say like colors by this studio or, you know, inks by the studio or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Whenever I would want to talk about those books, it would be like, oh, but your name isn't there. And it's like, what do I have? Do I have to show you my pay stub? Kind of thing. Um, so it people do the work and I want people to get the credit for the work that they do because comics is very much like a chain link. You know, you do one job, someone sees your work on that job and maybe they say, oh, that's really good. Maybe I'll look to hire that person. Mm-hmm. So if I can help somebody get a gig just from putting their name in the credits, then yeah, I'm definitely going to do that. And if I can help somebody, you know, get work because they inked or they colored, I mean, a lot of times people who are flatters want to be colorists, right? you know, so maybe there's a small project that says, Hey, I saw you were a color assistant. Do you want to maybe try and work as a colorist on this? Or can I see your portfolio on, you know, your color work and things like that? 
because sort of the name of the game is to get more eyeballs onto your work in general. And, um, you know, the law of averages says that, you know, through one of those people, you're going to be able to find somebody who is going to be able to give you an opportunity. And then once you have that opportunity, you you know, you you work toward the next. Um, I want to say, I think it was Dennis Calero who once said to me really early in my career, you know, you're never working on the job you're working on. You're working toward the next one. Right. Right. And if, and if crediting people helps, then I will happily do that. I mean, even from uh, my book in uh, 2018, 12 Devils Dancing, that I did with David Costa and uh, Andrew Cobalt, um, I have the logo artist credited. The, you know, I want people to know that, yeah, there are people that do this. And mm-hmm. uh, Kevin Maher, who was the logo artist on 12 Devils Dancing, Kevin and I have known each other 25 years. Uh, which I know is older than some of your listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Kevin uh, did the logo for 12 Devils. He did the logo for Forgotten Home. He did the logo for Deadliest Bouquet. He's done mm-hmm. other logos, you know, for other projects and everything. And whenever anybody says, oh, hey, I'm looking for a logo artist, he's the first person I, I suggest because I know how fantastic he is. We went to college together. He was in art school when I was, you know, in arts and sciences. I know his training. I know his uh, his abilities. I know his his style. And I think that, you know, he's great for it. So, yeah, if I can get more work to him, obviously I'm going to. Mm-hmm. So if I can just help somebody else out, I want to. Um, it's It's not for, you know, to make myself look better. I just think it's the right thing to do. But, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think, and again, I think that this, this comes back to the idea, like, uh, and it also helps us as readers to say, like, you know, if we're following people's work and there are, you know, colorists out there that I think the comics community like recognizes every time they show up on a book. Um, and it's because they are given opportunities like this, like, you know, being credited as, a, as an assistant and then being moved up to colorist that allows them to basically become these prolific creators, like a Jordi Belair or Dave Stewart, you know, where they're just on a zillion books and everyone goes, oh, I know that when this person colors this book, it's going to look good. Plus, I, I, not to mention the the idea of like logo designers getting a lot of credit. I think that that's had like a big resurgence over the like or a big change over the last couple of years where you start to see people like Tom Muller, who is, you know, the designer on all these Marvel books and stuff and works really closely with Jonathan Hickman and everything. You know, people being like, well, who designed this? And then we start to look at, well, who's designing all these other books? And I, I've seen like Twitter threads and things like that where people are just spending time saying like, oh, here are the, all these designers that I know that have worked on these various books. And me as a comic reader, I never knew who was actually designing those things until I started seeing them credited either in the book or people talking about them online. Because in my mind, I was just like, oh, whoever did the cover just designed it for the first issue, right? That's that's how all this works. <laughs> um, and boy, was I ignorant to, to think that that was the case. So yeah, it's it's really interesting to see that that's that started to become a more regular thing. And I, I think, you know, as a reader, I appreciate that you've gone out of your way as part of a, a person who's like working on books like this to credit everybody like that. Yeah, I mean, you do the work, you get the credit. That's that's the way I, I feel about it. S- simply because you know, comics is 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 not the easiest thing to do as a career, which is why most people in comics, you know, have other gigs mm-hmm. because it's not the easiest career. And this is something that I, you know, very bluntly tell the students at the Kubert School. Um, you know, what's going to make it worse is people not being able to recognize your work and you not being recognized for your work. Mm-hmm. I mean, rejection letters from pitches are bad enough, but then you get a, you know, you pick up the book that you worked on in a shop and you're credited 
where you're not credited at all or you're credited under the name of a studio versus your actual name and you're just kind of right. like you know it just sort of adds insult to injury right and and i i, I don't want to be the uh i i don't want to be the, the the person who's doing that if i if i have the ability and the power to add that to a a project to a credits page then i would if i don't then i'm gonna bring it up but it doesn't mean that it's gonna go through obviously i mean i'm not all powerful i'm not an editor-in-chief or anything like that but mm-hmm. i do try to say can we do this in the books that i edit for mad cave studios i make sure that the if there was a flatter or if there was uh you know an anchor or somebody else they are credited in the book. Uh, I'm editing mm-hmm. another project that uh, I can't talk too much about because it hasn't been announced yet. But I mentioned, I asked the uh, the production designer on the book, make sure that when you're laying out the credits page that you make space for the the name of the flatter. And mm-hmm. you know, I'll circle back with the uh, with the um, colorist to see who they want. You know, the the correct uh, credit for that. That's great. I mean, it's good. Like I said, it's it's really good to hear that like that people are that are people are thinking about this who are working like regularly in the industry. I feel like I feel like you glossed over a million billion things you're working on for how many different publishers. I know you started this portion of the episode with that, but I'm just like floored by how many different hats it seems like you're wearing. I I'm massively impressed. <laughs> okay, currently, I'm looking at the list on my on my whiteboard in front of me. Currently. Uh, I just finished editing a five-issue miniseries for Mad Cave. I'm editing an OGN for Mad Cave, you know, that's now a follow-up. I'm editing another project for another publisher that I can't talk about yet. I'm co-writing a project with a publisher that hasn't been announced yet. I am finishing up writing on deadliest bouquet uh i'm this coming week will be the last week that i'm teaching for the cubert school but I'm, i am going to be teaching summer session in july i'm i'm lettering a book uh for another publisher i'm lettering a book for another friend of mine and the book that i'm co-writing i'm also lettering please kill me now <laughs> what <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but yeah, that's that sounds uh like a lot. But I mean, I, I you know, like to make it in comics, you've, you've got to work in like every possible facet that you can, I guess, right? Well, I mean, I have this whole lecture the first day of school about the cosmic comic wheel and how the story is the center and that each of the spokes is a different aspect. You know, your editor, your writer, your production artist, your, you know, penciler, inker, uh, colorist, whatever, and that you know, if you've done all of the things, then it makes you better at doing the one thing that you focus on. So I am primarily a writer, mm-hmm. but I I would say writing is my job and uh, editing and lettering is like my freelance. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I think that because I've been a background artist, I've been an inker, I've been a colorist, uh, I currently an editor, currently a letterer. I think that it makes me a better writer for doing those things. Mm-hmm. And for good or for bad, I, I've walked in the shoes of the other members of the team. So I'm going to keep them in mind when I'm doing whatever my piece is, mm-hmm. whatever my piece of the pie in this is. 
I'm going to keep them in mind and make sure that if I have a very wordy scene, I'm going to make a note and say, hey, can we make this a little a, a little wider shot? You know, can we pull back on this shot a little bit? Because, you know, we have these three sisters talking and it's going to be kind of a wordy scene, a particular panel. So can we pull back a little bit and not be so close this way? I don't have to cover up all the art when we throw the letters down. Gotcha. So I try and make I try and, and, and be cognizant of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like this is this is juggling like a bunch of different things to make sure that your book works out well. But I guess getting the, that experience by having worked in all those other roles allow you to, to, to perf- like a output the a book that um works to make sure that all of those things like gel really really well i mean i hope they do yeah well i mean from what i saw everything seemed to work out pretty well like that you know that we've i've read books before you know where you know you can tell that the the lettering was kind of jammed in to try to you know work around the art and stuff like that yeah or, i've worked on those books before too <laughs> yeah and so it's you know it's it's clear you know and i think this is one of those things like editing in film where when it's good you don't even notice it you know that kind of stuff so um from what I've seen in the deadliest bouquet, you know, looks great so far. One one thing I did want to ask you though, really quick, um, for maybe for our listeners at home, like I'm aware of the Kubert School, but could you tell us a little bit about what the Kubert School is? Uh, it is the uh, Joe Kubert School of uh, Cartooning and Graphic Arts. Uh, it is technically a three year vocational school, and um, we've been we've been sort of colloquially called Comic Book College, mm-hmm. um, but I don't like that uh, simply because it's not just comic books. Um, we teach character design and we teach humor and caricature. We teach, you know, narrative storytelling, we teach animation. So, I mean, a lot of the people that come to the school, yes, want to work in comics, Mm -hmm. but, um, I, I have a background in art and, uh, advertising. I was an art director in an ad agency before I started working at a studio in comics. So I try and, you know, tell the students, look, you know, comics is a really tough, very competitive business. Look into storyboard work, look into mm-hmm. advertising work, look into character design, you know, all kinds of other things to sort of <laughs> soften the blow of the rejection of comics. <laughs> um, you know, because look, everybody thinks that they're going to be Jim Lee. Everybody thinks that they're going to be the Beatles, but the Beatles didn't even know the Beatles were going to be the Beatles. Right, right. And I think that you know, maybe this is the old woman in me, but I, I think that there are a lot of people that sort of come along through social media and, you know, you get 1500 likes on, on a pinup that you did and you think, oh, I'm going to be, you know, the next Art Adams. At the same time, it's like, okay, well, sure. Are you going to be a cover artist? Or are you going to be an interior artist? Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things that I always tell writers who are looking for artists is, don't just troll uh, Instagram looking for a, a, a pinup that you like. You know, make sure that the artist that you choose is going to elevate the book and is going to be appropriate for the book. So mm-hmm. the Deadliest Bouquet is a real world series. If I got had gotten a, a an artist who was very cartoonish, it would not serve the book well. Right. You know, I got right. someone who has a realistic style because that's what serves the book. If we were doing a story like a kid's book, getting a realistic artist for a kid's book isn't very good because kids books tend to be a little more cartoonish, a little more fun, a little more, you know, people are a little more bubbly and, you know, 
mm-hmm. opposed to looking, you know, very straight laced and everything. So really, you might like someone's art, but their art might not be good for the story that you're telling. Right. And I think that that's an important distinction that people need to make. The other thing is that if you're looking at someone's art, make sure that they have sequential pages. And what I mean by that, make sure that they can show a comic page with multiple panels. Because someone can have great pinups and really beautiful work, mm-hmm. but if they can't tell a story panel to panel to panel to panel, then it's not going to matter. Um, and then what ends up happening is the onus is then on the letterer to sort of draw the eye in the correct direction mm-hmm. to pull the eye, you know, going from panel to panel to panel to, to position the balloons in a way that is going to lead your eye to the next panel, to the next balloon, etc. And um, if you don't have a competent letterer, then that's not going to help either. You know, one of the things that I've, I've found with a lot of books is that you, you need a letterer. Um, and if you right. don't, if, if I, first of all, I think people, everybody thinks that they can letter themselves and that's not true. Um, but that's my, that's my own snobby thing to say. And I'm <laughs> the first person to admit that that's an egocentric snobby thing to say. I will admit that. Well, but it's, it's a skill in itself, right? I mean, lettering, understanding the flow of pages and all that stuff. I mean, I don't think <clears throat> I always thought in my mind, I was like, if I could work on comics, I think I'd be a letterer because I have no, you know, artistic skill and stuff like that. But, it, but no, then I but got into it. Skill. Exactly. That's the thing. It's, it's, I, I can't necessarily draw, but also lettering and understanding page flow is a whole different thing that you need to be in the right mind space for. It's not just a pick up and go kind of task. No, it's not. And I, and there is a really quick and easy way to find out if someone is an amateur letterer. Ask them what they lettered in, what program they lettered in. Mm-hmm. Which <laughs> I don't even know what program you would letter in, right? <laughs> so the program that you are supposed to letter in is Adobe Illustrator. Okay. If, if you've lettered in Photoshop already, wrong. Okay. Some people say, "Oh, well, I letter in Clip Studio." I've never worked in Clip Studio. I also know that Clip Studio is not the industry standard. The industry standard is Adobe Photoshop. And until the industry standard changes, that's what I'm going to tell everybody to letter in. Right. So and the reason you do that in Illustrator is because you can create vectors? Yeah, it is a uh, vector-based program versus uh, Photoshop, which is a raster-based program. Gotcha. Um, And, um, you know, it's there's so much that goes into it. And I don't want to go off on this diatribe. Because then people are going to be like, yeah, I don't want to back this book because she's like so up on herself about lettering. But no, I mean, I think I think lettering is very important. There's there's yes. one other quick thing is that when you letter in Photoshop or in Illustrator, even if you letter in Illustrator, there's something called football balloons where mm-hmm. literally you just make a circle and then you squash it. It's not how you make a a uh, a balloon and they're balloons, not bubbles. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not how you make a balloon. And uh, if I see football and rugby balloons, I, I automatically want to put the book down. Wowzer. This is, I mean, this is, this is fascinating stuff. Honestly, I feel Say like. Say no to football about... balloons. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I, I use the Adobe software uh, in my job. I typeset print prose books. So this is like very familiar what you're saying. <laughs> oh yeah. And you should learn. I mean, you can output a PDF from, uh, from Illustrator and you can totally do that and output a print ready pdf from illustrator but i tend to use indesign so yeah i love indesign i don't i don't letter comics but uh just as a program 
it's very intuitive well i i feel i've honestly i now you've you've sparked a thousand and one questions in my head <laughs> yeah. um, about this but i i, I don't want to take up all your time today we've been talking for quite a bit of time and i feel like we're running out of tape so um i guess erica thank you so much for being on the show where can people find you on the internet and where can they find the deadliest bouquet to back on kickstarter today um, well, on Twitter, I am Erica Schultz 42 on Instagram. I'm Erica Schultz writes W R I T E S. And my website is Erica Schultz writes.com. And, uh, you can follow the deadliest bouquet on Twitter at deadly underscore bouquet and on Instagram, the deadliest bouquet comic. And there's a link in the bio, uh, of all of those for uh for the kickstarter so awesome awesome well thank you so much this is this is seriously amazing everyone should go out there back the deadliest bouquet they're probably going to be funded by the time this episode comes out i'm jinxing it i understand i know but um <laughs> i totally believe in this and i'm very excited to to see the final product of this one once it's all done um and yeah i get well i, I if people have questions i mean i guess maybe i'll send them to you on twitter about how to letter things properly, I guess. Um, but <laughs> I've just opened up my rip my DMs. Uh, I've right. just opened up, you know, such a can of worms. Yeah. You know what? Send him to Taylor Esposito. He's the lettering instructor at the at the Cubert School. Send your questions to Taylor. Okay. Okay. I'll, I will find links for all that. Those will everything will be in the show notes. Trolling Taylor right now. <laughs> we will put all everything, all the links for everything in the show notes. But otherwise, um, remember you can always follow me and Kate on Twitter as well. You can follow Kate at Kate Elfier. You can follow me at Mike Rappin, and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. This episode first aired on Patreon and is possible because of our wonderful patrons. Join today for exclusive series like IRCB Movie Club, Saga of Saga, and more. Join now at patreon.com slash IRCB podcast. And if you haven't already, please rate and review our show five stars and Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help us spread the word. Join the IRCB Discord community to chat comics and more. Listen to our episodes live like we're recording right now. And make sure you, uh, you know, just come hang out, read manga with us, all that kind of stuff. IRCBpodcast.com slash Discord to immediately join. It's a whole lot of fun there. And honestly, it would help us a lot if you tell your friends and your local comic book shop about the show. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. Can't thank them enough for their music over the many, many years of IRCB. Xander is our editor. He's the person that makes this show perfect. Uh, so we want to thank him for making this show great. Uh, I want to say thank you to Erica again. Thank you to Kate for being on this episode with me. And thank you to everyone listening live on Discord and everyone out there who listens and downloads the show. We really, really appreciate you. Even you, 65-year-old man out in Scotland. <laughs> so until next what are you time. What talking about? That 65-year-old man, I'm telling you, watch. He's going to, like, own a castle. <laughs> I know it's gonna it's gonna be a whole like benefactor situation it's gonna be wonderful um until next time though remember comics are good and so are you